Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Genesis chapter 12 for me? Genesis chapter 12. And we're continuing this particular conversation we started, I think, last week about what it is for us as a community, as individuals, to not only seek blessing, but to become a blessing to those that God has placed in our lives. And um, I think it's a great follow-on from that other conversation we had where we were encouraged to live beyond ourselves. And um, I don't know how you're doing with that, but every day is a challenge to me. Um, I have a little trinity at work in my life called me, myself, and I. And obviously none of you do, but of course you do. And uh, I have to kill that trinity off every day and allow the Father in his fullness, the Son in his greatness, and the Holy Spirit in his power to work in and through my life. So we're going to read this together and um, we're going to just pray as we do that the Lord would speak to us as his family. Now the mic's gone down so low I can't hear myself, so I don't know where that is on things. So maybe you could bring it up slightly. Thank you. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Let me pray. Father, would you come by the power of your Spirit and take your word and make it so real and tangible and powerful in us, Lord, that we are changing from one degree of glory to the next. We ask this in the name of your Son, the life giver himself, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Now we pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 12 where God begins to lead Abraham into a new season in his life, a season of blessing, a season of fullness. And I just want to remind you that there's a little bit of a pattern in scripture where we need to pay attention. Sometimes we want the new without letting go of the old. We think that somehow God is just going to layer the new on top of the old. And in fact, the opposite is often true. God wants us to leave behind some things because he has greater blessings for us ahead. And if you've had any seasons in your life where you've seen God work or move, you'll find that you have a real connection, a soul tie, if you like, to those moments of encounter where the Spirit of God has done some great things in you. And yet in the middle of that, in the middle of the blessing that you've lived in or the blessing that you've received, God upsticks and he moves. He moves into a new place and he leads you consistently further and deeper into his plan. His plan that provides for you blessing and fullness and the great things that he has in store for you. And so in those moments we have to make some choices. Are we so attached to the past that we can't let go of it? Are we so akin to the life that we've had that we never really posture our hearts to receive the life that we can have in Jesus Christ? And right into the middle of those moments of decision, God says something like this, Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It's springing forth even as we speak. And he promises that he can make something even in the desert place, spring forth. Now, I don't know what your life is like right now. I don't know if you're living on a mountaintop or in a valley or a cave or whatever. But it doesn't matter where you live. What matters is that he lives. Amen. And whatever your experience is, he can speak life over it. Somebody say amen to that. You could be way out in the desert and been there for a long time. You could have a season of drought spiritually in your life. But God can make streams in a desert place. But the key to us embracing that has to be an ability to be flexible and indeed courageous and to move forward. And that's exactly what's happening in Abraham's life. He's been in a place where he's had lots of his needs met. He's been in a place where he had a familiarity with how God was blessing. He's been in a place where he had honor. He's been in a place where he had significance. And yet God tells him to move. And he's asked to move to a place he's never been. He has no understanding of how to get there. Do you ever feel that that's the truth of walking with Jesus? (laughs) It takes a huge amount of fellowship with him and courage and faith to believe that he's leading us. But he always takes us somewhere where we are not prepared to go. He always takes us somewhere where we've never been before. And I want to say this over this house. We are at that moment. This is a Kairos moment for this church. We can either have business as usual... And go back to the familiar, go back to whatever that was, or we can choose to deconstruct some of the things that obstruct a move of the Holy Spirit and go where the Spirit leads us. 
And even if it looks to you like it's strange, I can guarantee you that when you get there, blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing will, will arrive at your door. Amen. So it's time for us to kind of align our hearts, not to the past. The past has been done. We've lived that life. We haven't lived this life. And we align our hearts and we posture our hearts with curiosity and intentionality towards the future that God is opening up for us. And that future is a future that I believe will be written about. Someone will write about what God wants to do in the lives of people who can trust him in that kind of way. So Abraham, just like you and me, is in a moment of decision. And right at the beginning of that decision process, God says in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There is an emerging reality of the future that God has for us. We don't have it instantly. Have you noticed about God that he doesn't tell you the end before the beginning? Have you noticed he does that? That's a little habit he's got. When I get to heaven, we're going to have a chat about that. Because I like to know where things are going. I like to know what's happening. But God doesn't choose to tell us. In fact, all he asks of us is to take one step of faith towards that which he invites us to. One little step of faith. Okay? And he's leaving behind and he's leaving the familiar and he's leaving the, the, what he thinks is the best life he could have had. And now God says to him, if you do this, I will show you, and that's not instantly, I will show you in time what it is that I'm trying to accomplish in your life. I don't like living in that space. I don't personally find it easy to live between what was and what could be. In fact, if I'm learning anything at the moment, it's patience with myself. Okay, because I want to run after what God has placed before us. I have been for the last number of weeks pursuing that and seeking that and wanting to understand what is it that you're doing, God? What is it that you're opening up for us as a community? And, you know, as the pastor of this church, one of the pastors in this church, one of the leaders in this church, I think for all of us who are in leadership in this church, that has got to be our question. What, what do you want to do, God? And how can we partner with you to see it come to pass? We don't want to presume. We don't want to run ahead. We don't want to lag behind. We want to be right there in that place. But we're in that place of decision. Are we going to leave what we know and journey to a place where we are called by God to go? And we're going to trust that when we get there, when we arrive there, the work that the Spirit has done in us will have prepared us to possess what God has indeed prepared for us. There is a land ahead of you that you do not stand on just yet. But your heart perceives it. Your spirit knows it to be true. And as you follow the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's guidance, you will arrive at those places of blessing that the Father has for you. Can anybody say amen? You're looking at me puzzled here. You're going to be puzzled here. Okay. And Abraham has no idea what that will look like. But look, he gets a promise for the journey. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now remember, he's leaving behind a substantial group of people that already are established as a nation. He said, but I will make you a great nation. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Say bless you. And I will make your name great. Say great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. This isn't just about CLC. What God is doing here is not about you and me. We happen to be caught up in something that's sweet, I think. You may have other ideas about it, but I'm excited about what God's doing. But this is about our nation. It's about the nations. What God wants to do in us, he also wants to do through us. So what does God want to do in us? I think God wants to bring refreshing. Some of you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Am I wrong? Some of you have lived in the wilderness so long you've got spiritual chillblains. The winter has passed. It's gone, it's finished, that season is over, and yet you're so climatized to it, you're so used to it, you're so accustomed to it, you're living like somebody who's living in the wilderness, and God sits before you today at table, a banqueting table, and says, taste and see that I am good. 
But when you've lived with hunger for a long time, you become very accustomed to that feeling. And it takes a lot of courage to dream again and to believe again that God is doing something new. And I want to say to the wilderness people amongst us, the winter has passed, a new day has dawned, and God is blessing the church. God is blessing the church. Those of you who got stuck in a moment, let's call it COVID, who would have thought that mighty men and women of valor could be so damaged by an infection that ran itself around the world? And yet so many of us are living lesser lives after COVID. If there was ever a truth that needed to be spoken out loud, we should be living greater lives after COVID because life was stole from us. And we should come back with vengeance to live every day as if it's our last. And one day we might even get it right. We should not be hindered or restricted or intimidated. We should not be confined or restrained. We should be gloriously ambitious in the purposes of God, to wring out of every moment of every day his fullness, to pursue him with all that we have, to go after his kingdom with great passion and, and fire in our bones. And you see, what God is doing in renewal is he is restoring the years that COVID has eaten. So whether you're a wilderness person or a wandering person or a wandering person, this is a season of renewal. God is renewing. And what does God renew? I think the first thing God always renews is our first love. He restores our love and affection for him. You know, that's what the enemy was trying to take from you. That's what the enemy was after. These three things abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The enemy is not after your family. He's not after your business. He's not after your car. He's not after your health because they're all temporal things. Let me tell you what the enemy is after. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of which is love because your love for Jesus and your love in Jesus carries you to the destiny that Christ has for you. Someone say amen, please. Wake up, please. So he comes and he restores first love. And how does he restore first love? Well, we start worshiping him. And we find ourselves caught up in a wave of the spirit where we can't stop. Don't we, Jody? Don't we, Dawn? Don't we, Jane? Don't we, Charlotte? We find ourselves being brought into something fresh and something beautiful. And, you know, we love to take credit for it. Maybe it's our excellent song choices. <sighs> Now, when he comes, he draws us, he woos us, he stirs us, he invites us. And before we know where we are, we find ourselves caught up in something. Some of you haven't sung or danced like that for the last 20 years. And you think good music created that? I mean, you're like the immovable object <laughs> and the unstoppable force. Do you know, it had to be Jesus that made me dance on the stage. Let me tell you why. I've got a gammy knee. We're at Crufts yesterday, standing with thousands of people with dogs. <sighs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Nowhere to sit. My knee is about that size at the moment, okay? My other knee is very lovely. I'll show it to you later. <laughs> it's, very, it's very nice and worthy of a stroke if you're near. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> When the Spirit comes, there is liberty. There is joy. And joy has a face. And it's not this one. Joy turns up. What happens on the inside begins to show up on the outside. Restoring our first love. He's also restoring our joy. And our joy is attached to our faith, you know. Because when you're joyous, when you're enjoying the goodness of God, you believe for all kinds of things. The hope stirs in your heart. You start to think the impossible becomes probable. And before you know who you are, you're caught up in the great mystery of God doing something incredible in you. Amen? So that's a little bit of a background to where we find ourselves. We find ourselves with this invitation. And, and for all the purposes I can think of, it's important for us to respond in some way, shape, or form to what God is doing. And you may be on the outside looking in, but you can be on the inside looking out eventually. You know, sometimes when God moves, some people adopt it very quickly. Other people take a little time to think it through. And sometimes, you know, the, the late responders, as they'd be called in the business terms, actually are the people who carry it the furthest. So are always the initial people who are caught up in it. 
But we're standing in this moment. It's a kairos moment. It's a moment where we have to incline our ear and, and align our heart to a future we don't know. Hello. To a land we've never been. And I need to say that out loud because sometimes if we've been in other moves of the Spirit, we think we know what this is going to look like. We don't. And we go as pilgrims, led by the Spirit, wherever the Spirit leads us, and we're curious and hungry and thirsty to understand the person and the purposes of God. And these are great moments in our lives. They don't come around very often corporately. Uh, they come around occasionally privately. But God is doing something good amongst us. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. So we are blessed and we're being blessed by God. And we're having restorative blessing in our hearts and lives. But the whole point of that is not that we just camp at that place and enjoy all the goodness of God for ourselves. Actually, if you want to keep what God is doing, you need to learn very effectively to give it away. I have found that if I try and hold on to what God is doing, it dries up. But if I give what God has given me to someone else, it grows up. As I give away, this is what I said earlier, I want to learn this. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if I have received any blessing from what God is doing, what can I do to increase that blessing in my life? Give it away. Be a blessing to somebody else. Be intentional about wanting to bless other people. And as you do that, you align yourself for more blessing. And here's how it works. What you give away will be given back to you pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing in your life. And I'm not just talking about your finances. I'm talking about your life. Man knows no greater love than he should lay down his life for his friend. I'm talking about you investing beyond yourself in others who are around you. I'm talking about you living like Jesus lived when he was amongst us here on this earth. I'm talking about the invitation from the Spirit to not be a reservoir, but to become a river by which the fresh, glorious power of the Spirit can work through our lives. And for that to happen, we need to give away what we've been given. When I first married Jane, I remember we, we come from very different backgrounds. And I remember being at a, a conference somewhere. And if you're ever wondering, you don't need to wonder, I'll tell you uh, for free. The one who was wise in my house is not me. You work that out, I'm sure. And I remember her saying to me, you know, sometimes, Simon, God says things to you and they're just for you. But you see, it's very hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Okay? And I was taught from the minute I became a Christian that whatever God gave to me, if I gave it to somebody else, I would be a blessing in his eyes. So we argue. I mean, we don't argue. She's always right. You know, I have the last word sometimes. Yes, dear. Sometimes. But, you know, I started to think about that. Is it, am I just a little bit too kind of carefree with what God shows me? And I think there's wisdom in, in that phrase because some things God gives are for you and they're for you and him and they're meant to build something beautiful between you and him. But also... When they've built something beautiful between you and him, they're also given to you to bless those beyond you and him. And if you want it to increase, you have to learn to give it away. If you want to experience more, you have to give out what you have. And as you give out what you have, he'll give more to you to give out where he sends you. And the kingdom begins to grow. And God is sending you, you know. Let's take a little look at this. This, for me, is probably a major thing that I want us to consider together. Because I think it's something we're not very good at. <laughs> Prayer. Is there anybody who's an expert on prayer? No? Have you found there's no such a thing? 
Why do we pray? What is that for? What does it do? And um, I think we've mistaken the purpose of prayer. I think we have jumped too quickly to believe that just one sentence in the presence of God will produce an outpouring in a nation. But let me tell you what I've learned about this process. I've learned that prayer is the most precious gift that God has given his people. Communion with God has to trump every other invitation we have with the Lord. And communion with God is the very reason that Jesus Christ gave his life. So that you could know God and be known in that relationship as somebody who carries God's heart and indeed carries it beyond yourself even into your community. It is the highest privilege we have to be in the presence of God. It's the highest privilege. And prayer is not me coming to God with a shopping list of things he wants to do. Imagine if you were married to somebody and the only time they ever interacted with you was when they had a list of things they wanted you to do. You would find yourself shutting down, wouldn't you? Because you would feel used. And I think sometimes, you know, we're like that with God. We come with our list of things that we want God to do. And let me tell you, the primary kind of tone of that list is your life. Most of the time you talk to God, it's about you. There's a clue there. God, I need greater financial blessing. I can feel the hallelujahs rising from the floor. God, I need that woman that you caused me to be married to to really appreciate and honor me. Hallelujah. I'm the head of somewhere. Something, somewhere. <laughs> God, I need the church to be this. I, your, your prayer, if you're really honest, is more about you that it is about anything else. And let me tell you why that creates a little difficulty. Because this isn't about you. <laughs> and if you're making it all about you and your needs and your wants and what you need, I tell you what's happening. You are not growing as a Christian. You are not growing in your capacity to influence the world. You are growing only internally with a sense of insatiable desire for yourself. To be fulfilled and blessed. And I want to warn you about that. That's a very dangerous place. And most times people pray. They pray out of that place. And it's immature. Why not ask for an upgrade in your prayer life. And say God. Could we just move the conversation beyond me. Would it be possible Jesus. That you could show me. Something beyond me. That you could include me with. Could I not pray for this nation. Could I not pray for the leaders that you placed in government? Could I not pray for the teachers in the schools? Could I take that to my heart, Jesus, and come into your presence seeking for a greater outcome than just the fact that I might be blessed? Can I not pray, Lord God, for the young men who in their droves are committing suicide? Can I not pray, Lord God, for the women who are left abandoned by so-called baby husbands or whatever they're called, baby daddies? Can I not pray, Lord God, that something good happens to someone else on somewhere else and I might not even be benefited by it, but Lord, I want to be like you. It's more blessed for me to give than it is for me to receive. Can I not pray, Lord God, that whatever happens with Charles and the king of this nation and his family who seem to be gloriously fighting publicly about things that I think are important but undoubtedly have no way of resolving. Can I not pray that this nation will be united under God? Can I not pray for the churches in our cities to rise, those in local places that have no experience of the Holy Spirit's power? Can I not pray, Lord Jesus? And let me tell you what we're doing when we start to think like that and we start to pray like that. We start to come into alignment with the nature of God and we start to see his power flowing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and stop seeking their own attention to the issues of their life, I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. So we need to get good at this. Right now in heaven, Jesus, the great high priest, is interceding. The Bible says, night and day, he brings before the Father 
the glorious things that he desires to see the Father accomplish here on the earth. I wonder how different our prayer life would be if we eavesdropped. Instead of coming with our lists of things, we came with an inclination of heart to say, God, will you show me what's on your heart today? God, will you open up for me things that are not seen by the natural eye? I wonder, whatever Jesus you're praying for, could I partner with you and pray for it too? It's not new. In fact, it's very old. Be still. Be still. And as you are still, you will discover who I am and what I want. Jesus, hunted down by his disciples, Matthew chapter 6, and they're fighting amongst themselves because they don't understand some things and they can't get their head around some things and they come to him and they say things like this, who are you? You know like that chant at the end of the mass singer? None of you watch that, you want it. Something holy on a Saturday night. We don't get you, Jesus. We don't understand you, Jesus. We don't understand how you have the power to heal lepers. Just one touch from you, Jesus, and all of that leprosy is immediately gone. We don't understand, Jesus, how you have the power to raise people from the dead. Who are you? Who are you? Who is this before me who can calm the sea? And stop the wind. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Jesus, who walks into a city where all of the religious forces are out in their glory to condemn a woman caught in adultery? And that day, mercy hits the ground and a whole city is affected. Who are you, Jesus, that pours out your spirit on all flesh? Who are you? I don't know what this looks like, but I know I've never seen it before. I know I've never encountered anyone like you before. I know I've never experienced anything like this before. Who are you, Jesus? What are they asking? We've taken all of that and we've turned it into this. Could you teach us how to pray? They're not asking about that. They're saying you have a communion with the Father. And whatever that is and whatever that looks like, it turns up in the marketplace and you are vastly different than all the other religious people that we've met. And Jesus knows the question because the first thing he says to them, Matthew chapter 6, you have seen the Pharisees and the scribes standing on street corners. Let me tell you, he says, that's not where this happens. For they already have their reward. What is their reward? Their reputation. What is their reward? People are impressed with them. Do you, I look at church sometimes. I'm sorry because I'm losing weight as we speak. The gift of <laughs> deconstruction is happening. If only it were true. Do, do you ever think that sometimes you're a little bit more excited by charisma than you are character? Do you ever think you're a little bit more kind of caught up with talent than you are humility? I mean, in this world we're living in, all you have to do is take your clothes off and go on a television show and you become a celebrity. You don't have to have any talent at all. Everyone's got a body. I mean, granted, granted, it's better looking than mine. I must give you that. But the reality is that's all it takes now. That's all it takes to be a celebrity. And I think we are so bewitched by those things, even in the church. You know, I know my Redeemer lives. We sing it. But if someone comes up here and isn't the best singer in the world, maybe he's not so real. We are beseeched with being distracted by things that do not attract God. Do you know where I'd rather be famous? In the courtrooms of heaven. I'd rather my name be known there than it be known here. And you see, that's not unusual. That's actually how God uses people. When we care more about what happens in those realms than we do these realms, God can trust it with his kingdom here on this earth. And the place where that is fashioned in you is not on a platform. It's in the secret place. Jesus says, go into your room, shut the door, 
And what my father sees in private, he will reward in public. In other words, the source of all that you value and think is significant comes from God himself. It's not my charisma, it's not my talent, it's not my eloquent speech. It's the power of the Father working itself in and through me. Can I ask you a question, church? Because I don't want to labor this, but do you think it's possible that God may want to teach his people how to pray more effectively? Do you think it's possible that some of the things we're witnessing outside in our world is because we haven't taken the governmental anointing placed on our lives to come into communion with God and to meet with him and to listen and to be guided by him to pray effective prayers of transformation and power? Do you think it could be true that if his people in this moment, this Kairos moment, would humble themselves and seek his face and turn from their indifference that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh? Do you think it's possible that actually the key that unlocks the glory of God is the church and the church have the ability in his presence to move his heart and to move his hand in this world? Do you think that what God does in private with you becomes a manifestation in public for other people to see that he is good and his love endures forever? Can you imagine with me for a second how much more influence the church would have if we took the place of influence seriously that we do have, which is to be in communion with the one who knows all about all and has the secrets of every heart at his disposal. Do you imagine that your work life will be different? That your home life will be different? That your church life will be different? That your community life will be different? I guarantee you that if you spend one hour in his presence every day, by this time next week, your life will be radically changed. And so who keeps you from him? Who stops you from going there? Who blindsides you to think that this conversation on whatever it is platform is more important than the one you can have with the one who has the power and authority to change all things? I'm telling you, church, we are being hoodwinked. And Jesus died. Not that we could sing songs. As great as that is. Jesus died that we could know God. Jesus gave his life so that when we offered our life, his life could flow in us and it could flow through us. And I believe with all my heart that one of the upgrades that's opening up for us right now is the ability to be more effective in our intimate communion with God. That heavenly dialogue of us talking to him and him revealing his heart to us. You don't go with your shopping list to that agenda. You go with curiosity, you go with humility, and you say, God, teach me. I don't even know how to do this. I don't even know what to say to you. I don't even know how to start the conversation. I guarantee you, if you do that every day this week, by next week, your life will have changed. Your circumstances will be the same probably, but your heart will be different. Prayer is really good for you. Do you know what prayer does for you? It makes you like him. You can't be with God and come out the same. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy in life evermore. I find it entertaining in the church when people say, you know, I'm an intercessor. And they've got a degree in misery. Have you met those people? I'm, I'm, Pastor, you just don't understand the seriousness of my calling. I'm an intercessor. I am in the presence of God night and day. And I look at them and I think, I don't know whose presence you're in, but it ain't Jesus. That ain't Jesus. Because let me tell you, in his presence is fullness of joy. And your misery on legs. So I don't know who you're spending time with, but I guarantee you that the joyous one who brings life and life in all its fullness has not got your attention or indeed your connection because you're not experiencing that. Otherwise, it'd be all over you. It'd be visible about you. Prayer. God wants to teach us how to partner with him in prayer. Let me explain to you how he's going to do that. Ah, let me go back. He's going to teach us how to start viewing the world the way he views the world. What does that say? Say it out loud for me, would you? Again? One more time. Can we get a drum beat to that? 
I always think in church you should never clap on your own. Somebody will throw you a fish, won't they? <laughs> Mind you, at least you'd have something to eat. Jesus came to save, but more importantly, before saving, to seek that which was lost. And so how do I pray? How do I engage with that invitation? Well, the first thing I need to recognize is I have a huge amount of presumption about who is saved and who is lost. Huge amount of presumption. I think certain people are outside of that, but they're not. I think certain people will want that, but they don't. In fact, I am a complete novice when it comes to this. And the only possible way I could ever get it right is if the Holy Spirit teaches me how to operate as a treasure hunter looking for the touch of God in people's hearts and lives. I won't call you up, Natasha, because I don't want you to take my time. This week, this very thing happened. And in fact, that's not the first time in the last few weeks, and this is the reason why I'm laboring this point. Because for whatever reasons at the moment, we're seeing multiple people come to faith. And they're not necessarily coming to faith in the way we expect them to, and they're not the people we expected to come to faith. In fact, some of them have kind of been outside of the radar of that. Let me give you an example. It's going to blow your head apart. About two weeks ago, Pastor Rebecca's friend from university came to our church. She visited it about three months ago. And it just so happened that in her visit, the presence of God moved powerfully. And she'd been deeply affected by that ever since. She wouldn't confess that she was a believer or a follower of Jesus per se, but actually, for the last three months, she's been finding Christian radio stations and Christian music and listening to it in her car. Now, on the outside, you would never think that that was the case. I mean, this girl is really, really savvy. Good-looking girl, professional, doing a great job in her environment, and not necessarily somebody that you think maybe has a great need in her life for God. She seems to be very self-sufficient. But she came two weeks ago to one of our services. And she's sitting on the front row. And as God began to move in the meeting, she began to feel the presence. And so the presence of God was moving. And somebody came forward for prayer. I remember it being a man. And he was rocking backwards and forwards and starting to kind of be affected by the Holy Spirit. And so Rebecca's friend turned to her and said, What's happening? What's happening? And... Uh, Rebecca said, it's the Holy Spirit. And she said two words very loudly. And the second one was off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the house of God. Okay. And she was in disbelief. She couldn't believe that the Holy Spirit would work like that in a moment like that. And remember, she don't come to church, so she doesn't know you have to be polite and leave your swear words outside. Okay, she brought them into the house of the Lord and because she was stunned by what happened, what was in her came out of her. Be careful, judge not lest you be judged. Because you may not say it out loud anymore as a Christian, but you definitely think it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just keeping it real for you. Okay, so I'm watching this from the front and um, <laughs> I start to think, God, you're doing something here. I'm attracted to this situation. And we were rushing off somewhere. I think it was my birthday. We were rushing off for a meal. And I think, no, I want to talk to her. So I go over and I talk to her and I say, Natasha, that wasn't her name. I just said to her, what's her name? Jess. Jess. I say, Jess, are you all right? She said, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, you know, that was really powerful today. And she began talking about the presence of God. Isn't it interesting how people who don't know Jesus feel the presence of God? And some of you were here and you didn't. Just, just saying, just saying, just saying. So I said to her, 
tell me what's been going on. She said, oh, for the last three months since I visited the last time, I keep getting these feelings, this sense that this love or whatever it is, she said, the presence, it keeps kind of, kind of coming in and out of my life. And I just said, wow, wow, that's amazing. That's God, you know. That's God doing that for you. And she said, yeah, I kind of figured that. I said, well, would you like that presence outside of you to become a permanent reality inside of you? And she said, yes. And so we prayed with her. And Jess, in that moment, gave her life to Jesus. And more importantly, don't clap, we haven't got time. More importantly, <laughs> Jesus gave his life to her. He gave his life to her in that moment. Now, I guarantee you she didn't walk out of here and never swear again. <laughs> I think Becca has met her since and she said, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> I guarantee you that she doesn't understand everything. But then do you. I guarantee you that what God began in her, he will carry it on until it's completed. I guarantee you that because God never starts a fire he puts out. He starts a fire he wants to stoke up. Who would have thought? From the outside looking in, you would never have thought. Lesson number one. Don't judge a book by its cover. Because you have no idea what God is doing in people's lives. No idea whatsoever. And if you walk in presumption, okay, you will miss some of the great things that God is doing. You will just miss them. You'll, you'll think the outcome will be A, B, and C, and God might have an E or F for you to experience. Natasha, you've had a similar thing, haven't you? How long have you walked with Jesus? Four, four and a bit. Four, yeah, four and a half years. Is it on now? Hello? Yeah. Okay. About four and a half years. Yeah. And during that time, you've chatted, I think, to your family a little bit. Give us a bit of background. Where are your family from? What is their kind of... So both parents are from Mauritius. Um, we've grown up with a Catholic and Hindu background. Um, so we've had a lot of like religion. Um, and on Wednesday... I came back from home, uh, from work, sorry, went home to see my parents and sat on the sofa with my mom. Um, and we were talking about um, her work, that she's just become part-time. And we prayed for that together about two and a half years ago um, because she has quite a few health problems, so she really wanted that part-time work. Um, and I said, do you want to pray today? Thank you to God uh, for answering the prayer. She said, yes, yeah. so we prayed. And then right at the end... I just felt like saying, Do you, have you ever given your life to God before? And she said, yeah, I thought I put my hand up in church. <laughs> Isn't that me giving my life? And I said, but have you ever really invited him into your heart and said, I'm saying yes to you? And she said, no. And I was like, well, do you want to do that now? And then she was just like, okay. So I went and got my little alpha book. <laughs> and then I read the prayer with her, and she gave her life to Christ. Amen. So. Amen. Thank you. And from the outside looking in, we could have missed that. And I think 99% of the time, we do miss it. Let me take you to a scripture. We won't be much longer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. About 10 years ago, I felt God keep repeating himself with this scripture to me anyway in my life. And I, I think it was part of a, a, a journey where we were starting to think a little beyond what we understood um, in regard to God moving. Ephesians 4 verse 6 says, we have one God and Father of all. Just wait for a moment and think about that. If you were the Father of all creation, would all creation matter to you? Not just the goody-two-shoes ones that come to church. The ones partying on a Friday night in Broad Street. If you were the father of those individuals, would they matter to you? Would they matter to you if they were addicted to substances? Would they matter to you if they had no regard for you? You see, if we pause for a moment... What Jesus is teaching the disciples after the conversation about who are you actually is the same conversation that we're having right now. And that is, beyond what you see, 
We are all connected because God is our Father. Now, you see, he starts off with this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. What Jesus is saying is, I live my life with this viewpoint. Everyone belongs to God. Jesus is saying, I don't see Pharisees and scribes or prostitutes or tax collectors or money lenders or Romans or emperors. I just see children who do not know that they have a father who delights in them. Jesus is saying, if you connect with him in this way, you start to see things the way he sees things. And when God looks down on this earth, I know we're all about segregation and division and we're gone crazy on this. Okay, but God does not see what other people label as either this or that or the other. God sees his kids, he sees his children, and he loves this world. He loves everyone in it, no matter what they're doing with their life, whether they're in church on a Sunday or they're not in church on a Sunday. God has no discrimination in his love. His love is given to everyone and anyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and this is the phrase, that whoever... And you see, my problem is I think certain people should be in and I think certain people need to be out. And don't judge me because I know you're exactly the same. I think certain people are probably more likely to want Jesus than certain other people. I think certain people look like they're ready for the kingdom of God, <laughs> look like they're ready to receive Jesus, and the truth is they couldn't be further away, but they say all the right things and they have all the right vocabulary. And there's other people who use two words to describe the Holy Spirit, and they don't know what that means or whether or not that's right or wrong, but they're closer than I ever imagined them to. They're nearer to him than I ever expected them to. You see, I have been blindsided by what I think is religion and not understood that the Spirit of God goes anywhere and is amongst everyone. He is the Father of all. You have no right, and neither do I, to assume that some people will come to faith and others won't. We're shocked you're saved. <laughs> and so are you. And I'm shocked that I'm saved. People like me don't get to play with God like this. But the whosoever's are coming and you need to get ready for them, and your presumptions need to die, and your awakening needs to come, because you'll see them and connect with them in ways you never imagined possible. Why? Because he's the father overall. Look what it says. Continue reading it. Who is over all. Not only is he a father of all, but he has a power over all. Remember a number of years ago, sitting in the NLT room and John Glass, who was the general superintendent, was telling this story about a man in a Muslim country who just got married, a Christian man. And um, both he, his wife, newly married, only a matter of weeks, um, and all their family were taken and arrested and put in jail for their belief in Jesus Christ. And um, every night... He was subjected to listening through the wall and seeing sometimes because they positioned themselves. The prison guards raping his wife and raping his mother every night. And uh, I remember the comment that John made was that you would never imagine that this person could love Jesus, having seen all of that, given his life to God, done everything that way. But he said, you know, you couldn't be two feet away from this man, but feel the presence of God. And, and as I thought that through, I began to understand that maybe God's not that far from certain places or spaces that we think he is. And within days of that conversation, I meet somebody else who's a missionary out in the Middle East, and they began telling me stories, stories about Jesus. This one man, an ISIS member, was on his way to destroy a particular um, contingent of people. He had all the stuff strapped to him, and as he's on his way, his car breaks down. And as his car breaks down, he has a vision of Jesus standing before him on the road. And he falls to his face, 
and he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And straight after that, a contingent of people who were um, Christians in the army are driving past. They see this vehicle and they see this man. And obviously, as you can imagine, if he's kneeling on the floor, it looked like something other than it was. And they start moving towards him with caution and eventually get him to stand and they're communicating with him. And it turns out that the very officers in that particular truck, all three of them were Christians. And they're talking to this man. And that was the assignment they were traveling to because it had intel on it. And right before their eyes, God intervened and changed the outcome. And thousands of lives were saved. So he's not just the God overall or the God through all. He's the God in all. And that means no matter how bleak it looks to me, Jesus may be at work. Jesus might actually be doing something in somebody I think would not be interested in him. Amen? So we're going to pray. Stand up for me, would you please? We're going to pray. And we're going to ask Jesus to make us like him. People who are willing to be led by his spirit, equipped by his spirit, to look for those who are lost. People who each day of their lives don't just do a job, they go on a mission. People in their recreation who don't leave Jesus at the door because they're playing football, but take him on the football field. People who, when they're chatting with their neighbor over the fence about the carnage in the community, start to see that maybe God's at work next door in somebody, and I hadn't even noticed that he was there. If we don't start thinking like this and looking for this, we will miss some of the great things that God wants to do. And we're going to start by asking this question. I think it's a great question. You should ask it about everyone in your life, everybody you connect with. You should say, God, what are you doing in this person's life? And when you start saying to that to him, you'll find that he begin to speak to you. You'll find that he begin to tell you things because you're actually asking rather than presuming that you know. And when you ask, you shall receive. When you seek, you shall find. When you knock, the door will be opened. Okay, in the asking, you'll position yourself like Jesus to say, God, I've come here in this moment to see and to seek what it is that you're doing in the hearts and the lives of the people around my life. And because you really do care about that and you want to be like Jesus, you're going to write a list. And okay, your list is going to... Con Consist of people that are your friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and colleagues that do not know Jesus as far as you're aware just yet. You're going to pray over their names. You're going to bring their names to Jesus on a daily basis. You're going to ask God to draw you to the things that he wants to pray for those people. Don't presume you know. You might be praying for an addiction to drop off, and it might be rejection that's the root of that. Don't presume you know. God knows everything. He sees everything. Ask him and write it down. Three to five people on a daily basis, you're going to make that list your priority. You're going to ask God how you can pray for each person specifically. You're going to be very careful to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. And all you have to do is take one minute to do that each day. And I guarantee you that God will begin to work in and through your life in a way that you've not seen him do before. Why? Because he came to seek it, to say that is lost. And as you seek and start to, to, to wonder if God is saving those around you, start to see that. This list is going to be something we're going to come back to time and time again because there are other things attached to it that we need to pay attention to. But for the last five minutes, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you. If you lift your hands for me, I'll do it. All around us, Jesus, you're at work. It doesn't matter where those people live or what they say they believe or even what they look like. What matters, Lord, is that they belong to you. In fact, they are members of this family. They just haven't heard that yet. And God, we know that you have blessed us. And you have stored for us in the heavenly realms every spiritual blessing ever known to mankind in Christ Jesus. And we're seeing it 
bit by bit begin to manifest in our lives. But you're not blessing us just so that we have an easy life. You're blessing us so that you can use our life to bring ease to other lives. You're blessing us so that we can be a blessing to other people. And we don't know how that's going to look. We're standing at this Kairos moment. We have no idea what to do with that, except that we know in our hearts that the Spirit is speaking and moving amongst us. And we want to go wherever you lead us, Holy Spirit. And we want to become like Jesus. We know that's your goal and your desire too. So Lord, we're going to commit our hearts and our lives to you afresh today. We thank you, Lord, for this invitation. Teach us how to pray. Show us the secrets of your heart. And show us what you feel and what you think about others that are around us, Lord. Help us to live beyond just our own needs. And be used of you, Lord, to see others' lives change and be transformed. And God, if I have presumptions, forgive me. I don't want to presume anything, but I would love to perceive. I'd love to see where your hand is at work. Whether I'm at the checkout in Tesco's, traveling on the bus to work, whatever it is, wherever I am, all around me, God, there are people that you're at work in. You are the God who is the Father of all. You are over all. You are in all and you are through all. And Lord, I want my vision to become expansive like your vision. You said this, Lord, and I believe this is probably the best place to land this plane. You said the fields are ripe unto harvest. What you're saying to us, God, is these people are everywhere. Don't presume you recognize them. Perceive them as I show you what I'm doing in and for them. The fields are ripe unto harvest. Your family are ready for salvation. Your work colleagues are being spoken to by the Spirit as we speak. God is already writing something new in the hearts of those in your community. Hope has come because Jesus is alive. And he is moving in power in all kinds of lives, in places and spaces we would never ever think he could, or indeed would. But Lord, you are not put off by the expressions of people's faces. You are not, Lord God. You are not holding back from those who have no love for you. Because here's the truth, God. While we were all still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Your intentionality is clear, Lord. And I pray, God, for us as a community. Why don't you grab someone's hand if you're near someone? I pray this will be a season of harvest. A season of household salvation. A season where prodigals come home. A season, Lord God, when those we never thought would or could find themselves caught up in the great story of God. A season where the unusual becomes usual. A season where we think those who are outside come right to the center of inside. A season, Lord God, where your spirit moves through your church in such a powerful way that the whosoever's come in their droves and they come and they testify, surely Jesus was working in me and I didn't realize it. And Lord, if there's any offenses or religion that's stopping us from living like that, please, Jesus, come and get rid of it in my life. Get rid of it in our lives because we want to love the way you love and we want to see what you see and we want to experience what you experienced where you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we choose to forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I commission you in the name of Jesus Christ this week to seek, to seek. And as you do, you will see that God will save. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.